You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today, our speaker is none other than yours truly. And yeah, I don't ever get to introduce myself, so here's a few random tidbits about who I am. Um, I carried the Olympic torch in the 1996 Olympics. Yeah. I am fiercely competitive at laser tag, so if you want to play, just invite me, I will come. Um, I show cows in high school, so shout out to my 4-H and FFA friends. Yeah. I, my worst nightmare would be to be in a room full of clowns eating donuts. So you can analyze me later, that's okay. Um, but that is a legitimate nightmare of mine. But most importantly, I am a life that has been transformed by my loving, gracious Jesus Christ. And I am not who I was, and I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life, and I'm thankful to share in this sacred space with you all today. And I know as we come in this morning, lots of you are carrying heavy burdens and weights. Lots of you are distracted by midterms that are coming up, and your mind is racing already into the week ahead. So I wonder this mor morning if we could just pause for a second. And if you're willing, just extend your hands out in a posture just to release your agenda, your distractions, and your burdens to God. And we're going to just take a few moments and pray. If you'll just extend your hands out, and then I will close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we release our agenda, our distractions, and our burdens to you. We give them to you knowing that you are the one who cares so deeply for them and who has already provided a way through them. And we give you our distractions this morning and ask that you would come now and speak in ways in which our hearts and minds and ears can hear from you. Would you speak, Lord, for your people? We are listening. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. A few years ago, I spent some time in an African country, and during this time, they were having their first elections in 40 years. This was a big time for this country to give voice back to its people, but to say that times were tense would be a dramatic understatement. You, the United Nations had been called in to restore order and peace to the city, and we had been warned to stay inside and not go out into the streets. But two days before the election, myself and three other Azebarians, we flew in from up country where we had been residing, flew into the capital city, and found ourselves in a car headed to our host home. Things were going smoothly. I was sitting in the back middle seat until our drivers came to a stop suddenly. I looked up, and all I could see was a mass of people covering all lanes of the road and over into the sidewalk. And this was not a happy mass of people. This was a rioting mass of people, and they were coming directly towards us. I looked at our driver, who did not speak any English, and he turned as white as we were, because to be an American at this time in this country's history was to, was to mean that we were as good as dead. And we all knew it. The riot quickly came upon us, and as soon as they saw who we were in the car, they began to target our car. They were hitting it, kicking it. Our sunroof was jammed open, so legs were literally flying in our car from all angles. 
Then they decided to try to flip our car over. So they started pushing it back and forth. This was the moment. This was the moment I knew I was going to die. I was not sure what to do in that moment as my life flashed before me, but I, all I knew what to do was to pray. And when I say pray, I mean pray as I have never prayed before. Desperate times call for desperate prayers, and this was a desperate moment. I prayed more boldly and more fervently than I ever had. And the only words that I knew how to pray in this moment were this. Lord, would you make us look African, or would you make us invisible? That was our only way out. Lord, would you make us look African, or would you make us invisible? I started praying this out loud, and pretty soon my friends started praying this exact prayer out loud. Lord, would you make us look African, or would you make us invisible? And then suddenly it stopped. Not the riot. It was happening all around us. But they stopped touching our car. No more hitting, no more kicking, no more trying to flip us over. It was as if we were not even there. I remember looking out the window and straight into the eyes of an African man, and it was as if he did not see us. I'm not sure that day if God made us invisible or if he made us look African, but you know what? It doesn't matter. You see, Jesus showed up for me that day, and everything changed. I go back to that road often in my mind, and I think about the way that Jesus fought for me. I think about the way that Jesus saved me in that moment, and in doing so, changed my life forever. You see, in that moment, the Jesus I knew, the Jesus I prayed to, the Jesus who saved me, he became real. He was no longer just the Jesus who did miracles in the Bible, but he was a Jesus who did a miracle for me. He was no longer just the Jesus who calmed the waves and the wind, but he was the Jesus who calmed the riot in and around me. You see, when you encounter Jesus, everything changes. This morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. And we're going to be looking at the story of Saul's encounter with Jesus and how it changed everything in his life. And his trajectory from there on out was completely different. Before we get there, though, you need to know a little bit about who Saul is. So in layman's terms, Saul was an incredibly religious person. He grew up in a religious household where his family followed the traditions and customs and festivals of old. He went to a religious institution and studied under one of the elite rabbis of the day. His religious performance, studying the scriptures and following the law to a T, was faultless. That's the word he described in his letter to the Philippians. His performance was faultless. For some of you, that may ring true today. Some of you grew up in a religious household. You're all attending a Christian school studying under elite professors. You're hearing the word over and over again in chapel and in your classes. You follow our community standards and rules to a T. Well, at least some of you do. As for some of you, your performance is faultless. So what's wrong with this faultless religious performance? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's not your religious performance God wants, but your heart. 
He will settle for nothing less than full, wholehearted surrender of your life. Now, I'm not saying we don't need religion. We do. That's not what I'm saying. But it's not your legalistic, religious performance that God wants. It is your heart. Saul's religious performance led him to become a great persecutor of the faith. He oversaw the, first stone, the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. And he was the ringleader for persecution in Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up our story today in Acts chapter 9, if you want to follow along with me. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, which was anyone who was a Christ follower, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now as he entered, as he neared Damascus, suddenly a light flashed from heaven and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, he replied. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now the, the men traveling with Saul, they were speechless, for they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord answered to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to him and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <laughs> Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard the many reports of this man and the harm that he is doing to the Lord's holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority to take as prisoners all who call on your name. The Lord answered, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias got up and went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you as you were coming, has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he went to the synagogue and preached the, to this, he went, went to the synagogue and preached that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and said, isn't this the man who was raising havoc in Jerusalem for calling on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet, 
Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a word of God for the people of God. My friends, this is the good news of the gospel. When you encounter Jesus, everything changes. When you encounter Jesus, he meets you right where you are. He calls you by name. He reveals himself to you. He restores you back into community. He awakens you to the work that he's doing in and through your life. And then he sends you out to proclaim the good news. That is what an encounter with Jesus looks like. And that is what I'm praying happens this morning for you and for me. So if you're taking notes, number one, when you encounter Jesus, he meets you right where you are. Saul was on his way to persecute Christians, persecute God's beloved children. And that's exactly where Jesus chooses to meet Saul. In the middle of the journey, in the middle of his sin, in the middle of his self-righteousness, that's where Jesus meets him. You see, my friends, there is no place that is off limits to God's power and his presence. He will meet you right where you are. He met the Ethiopian eunuch that we talked about last week on the desert road. He met me in the road in the middle of Africa. And he met Saul on the road on the way to Damascus. So be careful. You never know where Jesus might just choose to show up. Who knows? Maybe he wants to show up on a Monday morning chapel during midterms week when you guys are half asleep. That's what I've been praying he does. You see, Jesus will meet you right where you are. He is passionately pursuing you, and his pursuit of you will never cease. Last week, Kaylin talked about a definition of provenient grace. God's searching for you before you ever search for him. He is already drawing you near to himself. You are not far from God because he's already drawing you to himself. You cannot outrun God's love and grace for you. You cannot out God's love and grace for you. You cannot outperform God's love and grace for you. So I wonder this morning, where are you? What road are you on? And have you honestly encountered the risen Christ? Number two, when you encounter Christ, he calls you by name. Jesus knows your name. Now, don't just rush over that truth as if it's it's something you already know. Dwell on that. Jesus knows your name. And for someone here, that's the truth you need to hold on to today. Jesus knows your name. And he calls to you by name. Here he calls to Saul twice. Saul Saul, last week A.J. Swoboda said he called to Moses twice. Moses, Moses. He does this, God does this all throughout the Bible. Abraham, Abraham, Samuel, Samuel, Moses, Moses, Saul, Saul. He said, pay attention. 
I don't want you to miss this. Something big is about to happen. God is always calling out to you. Sometimes we're just too busy and distracted to hear from him. But his calling will never cease. Sometimes his voice comes in an audible voice. His voice always speaks through his word. If you want to know what Jesus is saying, get into his word. Sometimes he uses other people, and sometimes it's a still, small voice in your heart that Jesus is calling to you. Genie, genie. He calls you by name. His pursuit of your life will never cease. You are not too far from his love, and you are not too far from his grace. If Saul, persecutor of God's beloved children, is offered love, grace, and redemption, my friends, you are not the exception to God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Look at me. You are not the exception to God's love, grace, and forgiveness, and redemption. No one is. When Jesus calls you by name, number three, he reveals himself to you. Here Jesus reveals himself by saying, I am Jesus. I am that same name that we get in Exodus chapter three, that God's saying, I am who I am. It's the same that we get in the seven I am statements in the gospels. I am Jesus. Jesus wants to make himself known to you. He does not want to leave you in the dark about who he is. Redemption was set into motion from the very beginning. Jesus coming to us with skin on, fully man and fully God, so that we might be, so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we might be reconciled to the Father and have full redemption in him. I wonder this morning, what do you need Jesus to reveal to you about who he is? What are your questions about who Jesus is? He wants to make himself known to you. He does not want to leave you in the dark. What do you need Jesus to reveal to you about who he is? Jesus not only reveals who he is, but he also reveals Saul's sin. Because you see, Jesus cares too much about you to let you continue down a path of destruction of hurting yourself and others. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Dr. Keener, who is a commentator on the book of Acts, says at this moment, Saul would have thought that God would have been commending him for what he was doing. And yet he found himself now stark revelation that he was on the opposing side of God. On the opposing side of God. He loves us too much to let us continue down the path of destruction. Often he puts people along the way to serve as guideposts showing us and pointing us back to him. Yet we blow past them, ignore them. We're good at justifying our sins and our actions and continuing down our own version of a highway to hell. Jesus reveals to us what he intends to heal and set free. I wonder, as you're thinking right now, I wonder what the sin the Holy Spirit might be revealing to you. What is it that's coming to your mind right now? And what do you need to do with that sin? 
for Saul, he got up and went into Damascus, and for three days he did not eat or drink anything. Now, Dr. Kinder says culturally this would have been a sign of mourning and deep repentance. He was repentant of what he was doing, turning around from his ways and going in the complete opposite direction, mourning the sin he had committed. It's Jesus' kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's his love and grace on the cross that leads us back into community. So number four, when you encounter Christ, he restores you into community. Here, enter the scene, Ananias. I honestly feel bad for this guy. I mean, he's asked to go and restore the sight and back into community, the greatest persecutor of the faith. I get his response to, the, to Jesus. To be honest with you, I would have had the same response, but probably even a little bit more. I mean, excuse me, God. Don't you know who this man is? Don't you know what he's doing to your people? Jesus, don't you know what he's capable of? And that's just it. Jesus knows exactly what he's capable of. Saul is capable of becoming the greatest missionary of all time. Jesus looks, past, looks beyond his past and sees into the man of God he was created to be. And that's exactly how he looks at you and me. He looks beyond our past, our sin, our failure, and looks at us as if the, man, the men and women God created us to be. Saul was indeed God's chosen instrument, not because of who Saul was, but because who Christ was in him. So Ananias went and placed his hands on Saul. And did you catch what he called him? Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He's not just welcoming him back into the community. He's welcoming him into the family of God. Imagine how healing those words would have been to Saul. I no longer call you Saul the persecutor, but I, saw you, I call you Saul my brother. My brother. My brother. Who do you need to be an Ananias to? This is hard. Talk about having to love your enemy. Who is your enemy? And how might God be asking you to go and extend a hand of love to that person? Who do you need to be an Ananias to? Number five, when, Christ, when you encounter Christ, he wakes you up. When Ananias prays for Saul, immediately something like scales fall from his eyes, and he can see again. Dr. Keener says, uh, God made the person who thought he saw blind so that he could see anew. You see, the problem is that we don't know how blind we are until you can fully see. A couple years ago, I got glasses for the first time in a long time. And I put them on for the first time, and all of a sudden the world became crisp and clear. I did not know how blind I was until I could fully see. 
And yet at the same time, it took me a couple of days, even a week, to get adjusted to my new reality. Because that's just it. When you encounter Christ, you gain a whole new reality. The scales fall off, the walls come down, and light penetrates the darkness. That which was dead is raised to life. Shame is rolled away. Lies are drowned in the truth of Christ. Our appetite for sin is no longer there, and we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Peace replaces worry, doubt, anxiety, fear. And our identity is shaped and molded into the beloved sons and daughters of the Most High King. When we encounter Jesus, he wakes us up to a brand new reality. And I know in this room, there are lots of scales. Some of you have told me about your scales. Others of you, I just know from this generation that you have them and I have them. And I wonder today if we wouldn't, as a collective community, allow Jesus to let the scales fall off so that we can see him more clearly, that we can see ourselves in light of who he is, and that we can walk in the freedom he died to give us. What are your scales? And would you let them fall off this morning? Number six, when you encounter Christ, he sends you out to proclaim the good news. The first thing that Saul did was go to the synagogue and start proclaiming and preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Because you see, when you encounter Christ and he changes your life, you cannot help but share about who he is. If you are a Christ follower, you are always sent on mission to proclaim the good news. If you are a Christ follower, you are always sent on mission to proclaim the good news. It's not an option. It's a command. He immediately wanted his fellow Jews to receive the spiritual awakening that he too had received. He wanted them to know that the long-awaited Messiah that they had been looking for and hoping for had indeed come in Christ Jesus. Saul's conversion was a catalyst for the gospel. Saul, a former enemy of God, is now his chosen instrument. That's good news for you and for me. It means that our past doesn't disqualify us from future ministry. Your past, my past, does not disqualify us from future ministry. You who are addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography, you who have gone too far and crossed boundaries you promise never to cross, you who lie, cheat, gossip, steal, you who are prideful, arrogant, self-righteous, you, you, your past does not disqualify you from future ministry. Do not let Satan win the battle of your past. Encounter Christ and let him set you on fire and write a story so deep in your heart that you cannot help but share it with the world and those around you. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, have you encountered the risen Christ? I'm not asking you, do you know about Jesus? I'm not asking you, can you tell me the right answer about Jesus? 
I'm not, telling me, I'm not asking you, can you recite his word? I'm asking you, have you encountered the risen Christ? Have you had a Damascus Road experience where the scales fall off and your life is transformed no longer to be the same? The writer of Amazing Grace deeply identified with the conversion of Saul. John Newton was a slave trader who was later converted and wrote the song Amazing Grace in response to what God had done for him. You hear the similarities in the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. That's how we're going to close this morning. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I don't want you just to sing these songs, like the, the lyrics like you've sung them before, but I want you to experience the grace God freely gives to you today. As we close, the altar's open for you to encounter Christ, for your sin to be washed away, for the scales to fall off, and for you to walk in humble obedience all the rest of your days. May you go encountering Christ, and may the scales fall off as you walk in freedom. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you go. Amen.